Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is the Unplayable Podcast. Sam Ferris here on today's episode. You'll hear from former Australia captain Steve Waugh and current Australia fast bowler Kane Richardson as we discuss the tragic passing of Dean Jones and what Kane has been up to in quarantine. So let's kick things off and say good day to Kane Richardson from his hotel room in Adelaide. G'day, Kane. Hi, Sam. How are you, mate? I'm good. Thanks for having me back on. You know, obviously everyone else had their phones turned off, so. Well, I don't know why you keep saying that. You were one of the first dialed when we're desperate for a guest. How, how's it been, mate? Are you, you, you're surviving quarantine. What day are you up to? This is going out on Wednesday, so you're you nearly out of there? Yeah, I think we're day 13. So Friday, you're out? Fr- uh, yeah, Friday. Well, 12.01, I'm trying to pull some strings so I can walk out of this hotel at 12.01. And obviously, I live down the road, so yeah, yeah. Maybe, I'll walk, maybe I'll walk home. Okay, well, before, be careful at midnight. Before we get to, get on to what you've been up to, the cricket world last week was rocked by the passing of Dean Jones. Dino played 52 tests, 164 ODIs, won a World Cup, a couple of Ashes series, and was an absolute trailblazer of the one-day game. Tragic, tragic news about Dino Kane. Did you have much to do with him? Uh, not a heap. I, a little bit um, when I first came around the Australian team, he was involved and Darren Berry, um, old coach of the Redbacks, got him involved uh, on a few like pre-season trips one year. So I spent a little bit of time with him. I think I was pretty young, so I was trying to develop my batting. Um, and I did some work with Dino. And it's funny, we sat in a room and he was looking over my footage and I, he definitely didn't rate my batting, which was fine. And <laughs> I just asked him, what do you think? Like, what tips have you got for me? And I remember <laughs> he said, I think you need to chew gum when you bat. And I... I was thinking, I was like, okay, why? And he goes, well, I did it and it worked for me. Makes sense. <laughs> so that was that was the one piece of batting advice he had for me. So, Did you chew gum? Yeah. Uh, I can't remember. I'm not a big fan of chewing gum, so maybe that's why I'm still no good. But um, I, I think that summed up, from from all accounts, that summed up Dino. Like just so confident in his own own beliefs and thoughts, but obviously worked for him because he was a a star. So... Yeah, I don't think it would work for me. Yeah, he's, he was known as a, a left of field thinker and if someone's got batting issues, he says two gums that would probably align <laughs> with those stories. But an uh, absolute icon of the game, as, as I said before, one of uh, the trailblazers of one-day cricket and one man who played 174 matches with Dino, 37 of them being tests, was Steve Waugh, who I spoke to about his memories of the man known as the legend. Steve War, thanks for coming on the Unplayable Podcast. The cricket world has been in mourning since the news last week that Dean Jones passed away at the age of 59. What was your reaction when you found out that Dina had died? Um, look, you don't expect those sort of things to happen, um, particularly someone like Dean Jones. He was <clears throat> always semi-bulletproof when he played the game, larger than life. And, 
um, you just sort of, you sort of live on forever. So it's um, yeah, it's a real shock when that news comes across. And um, you know, I got a text sent to me by one of my friends, and I just um, had to sort of read it two or three times to make sure that it had actually happened. So um, yeah, like everyone else, it was um, it came as a, a total shock. Yeah, you, you guys played your first game together uh, one day in 1986, but Dino had been the team for a few years by then. Uh, what was your first impression of him? Uh, look, yeah, larger than life is, is the one way I described uh, Dino. He was um, he was brash, he was out there, he was confident, um, you know, had a bit of an ego, um, but, you know, that's that's what you wanted in your side. He was um, he gave an also those positive vibes. He wanted to take the opposition on. So for me, it was um, it was just great fun to have someone in your side that um, had this energy and you could feed off it, feed off it, and and you could just um, you know you feel confident playing beside a player like that. How did it rub off on you? Oh, look, I enjoyed his presence um, and um, enjoyed as I say, his positivity. I loved batting with him because we, we both enjoyed running between the wickets and taking the opposition on. Um, Midweek conversation was always positive, and let's get stuck into it and let's make a game of this or let's take take the opposition on. So. Um, I set off his um, um, confidence and um, and his ability to really think that any situation we could overcome. So that was, um, you know, it was great fun to, to battle alongside. Um, in the field, there was always plenty of talk, um, plenty of energy, and, and that's what you wanted from your teammate. 86, you guys played in that tight test match in Madras. Uh, now, you mm. guys were roommates on that test match. What are your memories yep. of that match and, and Dino's knock? Um, look, it was one of the great test matches of all time and, and it doesn't really get the credit it deserves. Uh, for us, it was a coming of age, really. The team hadn't been in India for over a decade and we didn't really know what to expect and we confronted with these um, unbelievably tough conditions in, in Madras or Chennai um, um, back in, um, in 1986 and it was 40 degrees most days. Humidity was high 90s. Um, there was a canal ran around the ground um, in Channel called the Buckingham Canal, which was used by um, you know cattle and humans and, and and dumping ground for waste, and it had this horrible smell the whole five days. And most of us were feeling sick as it was. And then you combine that with the temperatures, temperatures and dehydration, it was um, it was almost a superhuman effort to bat for seven or eight hours, which he did. Um, scored the double century, and he lost between six and nine kilos while he um, he played that inning. So he was. Um, Physically, in a bad way, in his face, actually, you could see the changes in his face. And I described him in I think one of my books as looking a bit like Ivan Lendl in the face. He was very gaunt <laughs> and, uh, and pale. What was it like when he came back in that dressing room? I think it was at tea time. He says he, mm. he, he couldn't remember it, but what, what were your memories? Uh, well, I think I was myself and I can't remember who I was. But we got him in the shower, got his clothes off, and basically pointed him towards where the shower taps were, turned them on for him. Um, I think we sat him down in a chair and he sort of cooled off and then back to the his seat in the change room and then we actually physically put his clothes on him, basically put his pads and gloves and everything on because um, he was incapable. He was, um, you know, if he was playing now, he, a doctor would, I'm sure, would have intervened and said, you can't go back out there. Mm. But <laughs> such was the way back in those days. It was um, toughen up and get back into it. And he went and got the double century, came straight off. And um, I think he spent he spent the night in hospital on the drip. And, uh, and uh, so, yeah, it was, um, it was, it certainly took its toll on him. And I think in future games, whenever the, the temperatures were high, it, um, you know, Jonesy really was affected by um, by heat after that test match. It, it did something to him um, physically and mentally. I wasn't sure, but um, he wasn't the same player in those hot, hot conditions after that match. 
And am I right in saying that uh, he would often bring up that innings, basically anyone who asked it, or even if they didn't <laughs> ask it? Oh, it'd be a variety of innings. You could pick any one, <laughs> number of, no, one of uh, many innings. But um, yeah, look, um, and rightly so, he deserves to talk about it because it wasn't really, um, you know, it's not really known. Uh, there's not a lot of footage of it. And it's, you don't see much, um, many replays. But uh, for anyone who was there, it was, um, you know, together with Greg Matthews, they were the heroes of that tied test match. Um, Greg got two fifers and, and Dean got the double century against the odds, against a really good Indian side in conditions we weren't used to. So, you know, I think it would be great actually to go through that whole lens and watch it on TV one time because, you know, I was there and, and certainly appreciated it. But when you look back on it, it was um, one of the great test match innings displayed by, by Bassman from Australia. Absolutely. A, a year later, you guys go back to India and win the 1987 World Cup. And Dino described mm. that as probably the greatest cricketing day of his life. Could you see how much it meant to him at the time? Well, it meant a lot to all of us because we were rank outsiders. I think that, that year leading up to that World Cup, we'd hardly won a game of one-day cricket and um, test matches. We hadn't won too many test matches either. So, you know, we we had to sort of turn around and turn around quickly. And uh, again, we were rank outsiders um, in tough conditions. No one expected us to do well. Um, but we just had this... Um, incredible sort of X factor about that side and we knew something special was brewing from the moment we beat India by one run in the first game again in Chennai um, and it just kept building up and building up and you know for a lot of us we didn't have success in Australian colours so it was, was really special and um, you know um, interestingly enough you know that, that World Cup was played in white and we actually wore baggy greens which so many people would remember we didn't wear yellows for some reason we wore the actual baggy green caps to win that World Cup but um yeah, for all of us, it was um, a great moment. Um, and Jonesy or Dino played a huge part because he was really, um, he was our X-Factor in one-day cricket. He gave us that um, that extra bit of presence and body language on the field that um, that took us to the next level. And the opposition knew that they were in a contest playing against Australia, particularly with um, Dean Jones batting at number three. Just on the one-day game, we've heard stories about the way he ran between wickets, his fitness, athleticism, you know, how he wore the sunglasses on the field. But what kind mm. of impact do you think he made on the one-day game? Look, I, I sort of put him alongside Michael Bevan as the two most influential batsmen of my time uh, that I saw that um, probably changed the way you, you, they went about their business in one-day cricket. Um, you know, Dino was a guy that sort of, you know, would walk down the wickets to the, the quick bowlers, um, he would hit across the line, uh, would just tap and run. Um, he would just um, make things happen. And, um, you know, he played with a lot of hustle and, and intent. That was the thing that Bob Simpson sort of ingrained in all of us, that we had to play with the hustle in the one-day game, put pressure on the opposition. And we didn't have to hit fours and sixes. Yeah, ones could be just as damaging. Um, these days, it probably that method wouldn't work back in the 80s and 90s. Um, you know, the stats were that whoever scored the most singles in one-day in one day games won the match. Uh, which was an interesting way to look at it. So we played in a different vein, and and uh, and Dino was at the forefront of that, leading the way. So he was, um, you know, very much um, you know, cavalier in his approach and a bit of a maverick, but he was sort of a, an innovator as well. Yeah, he was also a fair test player, wasn't he? In, in 1989, he mm. was on part of that series sure. in England uh, that won the Ashes back. He averaged 70 in that series, got 200s. What are your memories of Dino on that tour? Yeah, you're right. He's I definitely underrated as a test match player. Um, Played fifty odd, fifty two tests and average over four, over mid forties. Um, you know, that's a that's a quality um, quality numbers, particularly you know back in the eighties and early nineties. And um, again, he was um, you know a lot of us. That was our graduation tour almost. We 
we knew we needed to produce something special. It'd been a couple of years, nothing much had happened in Test cricket, and um, it just all came together. We played six Test matches, one four nil. We would have won six nil without the rain. Uh, and back in those days, again, we played Test matches, which had um, which had um, you had a day off, and between had a rest day, which was unheard of. So they were, they were great times, and we played. 13 or 14 county matches, run the bus constantly together, and we, we really grew as a unit together and enjoyed each other's company. We played great cricket, and I think for all of us, it was probably our favourite tour that we've ever been, been on because, we, we again, we um, were expected not to do well. We were described as the worst Australian side ever to tour, and then we pretty much won every game, and uh, for a lot of us, um, it was the moment where we became Test Match players. Do you reckon he should have played a few more Test Matches? Well... You, you would have thought so. I mean, I wasn't there when he played his last series in Sri Lanka. I was actually dropped for that series. Um, so I'm not sure what happened. But he had a reasonable series even in Sri Lanka when the team didn't do that well. So I don't know why he was um, not selected after that. It's um, probably one of those questions that maybe need to be answered in time, but it wasn't. It's never been really fully answered. But he was um, for sure capable of playing a lot more tests than he played. 52, when you look back on it, probably wasn't enough for guys his caliber and class. And... Um, I'm not, I, but I don't really know the reason why I didn't play any more, but he certainly was capable of a lot more. He certainly had that swagger and that toughness about him. I mean, you were in that game when he asked Kirtley Ambrose to take off his wristbands. What, what, what were you thinking mm. when he asked him to do that? Well, I think I was next out of bat. I remember walking out of bat and uh, it was all sort of happening. I'm thinking, what, what the hell are you doing? You're, like, <laughs> <laughs> You're okay. You're about 40 or 50 not out. It's under lights. Ambrose seen me in. And Ambrose was a guy that you definitely didn't want to fire up. And I uh, saw that first hand when I... Did it myself in the Caribbean, but um, <laughs> at night when it's um, not easy to see under lights and the guy bowling 90 miles an hour, so not sure what he was thinking, but he always had a method to his madness. So maybe he was uh, trying to get him, put him off his game and to bowl some loose deliveries, but it may have backfired for the rest of us coming in. Off the field and in the dressing room, what was Dano like? I think he's just full of confidence and, uh, you know, best described. I remember a game before the 89 Ashes um, Test Series got on the way. We played a one-dayer at... Um, at Hove at Sussex and uh, leading up to the test match about four weeks before the first test. And um, Ledger was batting three and I was batting four. And um, we just got into the partnership. And, uh, and, and Dino top-edged the ball from a guy called Tony Pye got a top edge into his cheekbone. And he um, he went off straight to hospital, broke the cheekbone. Thought this is going to be pretty serious. He's going to be out four to six weeks. Um, not good. Meanwhile, I batted through the rest of the innings and uh, was 80, I think it was 85, not out. And uh, we lost our ninth week. I thought that's it. We're in of um, in of the innings. No, you know, a bit of bad luck. I wouldn't mind 100 leading up to the test match, but nevertheless, um, that'll do. And I was took about 10 strides off, and then I saw Jonesy sort of charging through the gate, helmet on, bandages all over his face. Um, you know, he was 14 not out. That's when he retired. So he came out of the middle. And I said, uh, mate, there's no need to do this. Like, you know, you don't want to risk damaging your, your face anymore. I don't need 100. And he said, mate, what are you talking about? I said, I'm not worried about your 100. I'm out here to get my 100. Which <laughs> <laughs> I thought was interesting because there was eight overs left and he needed 86 more runs. But, and with one eye, I can only see it at one eye. But that was typical Dean Jones, you know. <laughs> Just thinking he could he do, the, do the impossible. And that was uh, the other shit that we, I loved about playing with him, that it was anything was possible. And it was, you know, it was us versus them. That's outstanding. I mean, we've talked about a few of them. But have you got a, a favourite Dean Jones innings? Um. I think he always says his favourite innings was in his first test. He got 48 against the might of the West Indies in the Caribbean, which I didn't see, but that was against Garner and Holy and these amazing bowlers. Um, but, yeah, favourite innings. Um, look, 
I think everyone would say the Madras because that was just an epic innings. Um, you know, there was that moment. There was, uh, I think, double hundred. against the Windies in Adelaide where I think Merv got 70-odd in that partnership. That was incredible innings. Um, you know, every time I, with New South Wales played Victoria, he was like a prior scalp and he loved playing for Victoria as much as he loved playing for Australia. So, um, you know, I, I know I enjoyed company. I mean, obviously, the... At the time, we, I think we got about 60 or 70 against the West Indies in Sydney in a rain-affected one-day final. And I think Dino got 70, 80 not out, and I ended up in six off the last ball over cover off Kirtley Ambrose. And we ran off the field sort of jumping up and down and embracing each other. That was probably my favourite personal memory of myself. And, and Dino was running off against the Windies, um, you know, thinking we'd, we'd, we'd won the game for Australia by getting this incredible partnership. Is there, a, is there a story that he tells that's one of your favourites? Because I'm sure he'd, he'd have a few to choose from. Uh, look, you know, he was, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, there was, there was always plenty of stories when, when James, he'd relive them, and it was, a lot of them was off the field too, like, you know, talking about golf, and he was very competitive at whatever whatever he did. Um, but, um, yeah, I think it was, you know, I remember the one time he was pretty upset with myself, and that was myself and Peter Taylor, we test match in Adelaide. Um, I think it was, um, might have been against the Winnie's, but um, anyway, I was room with Peter Taylor, and, um, during that test, before the test match, Jones's gear had disappeared. Ant said had um, apparently lost all his gear, and he was blowing up for the whole test match. And it was like a we were trying to stop it from being a, a PR disaster, like sort of calming Jones down. And he filled out all these forms for his, um, you know, replacement kit, and he you know, filled out all these all these expensive suits and shoes and all this equipment. Um, um, and after five days, uh, we obviously the test match finished and. Peter Taylor and myself were in the same room and uh, about to walk out the door and look at Peter Taylor and said, mate, you've forgotten your bag. He goes, no, mate, that's not my bag. <laughs> so we'd had Dean Jones a suitcase in our room for the whole test match where he had to borrow clothes and was <laughs> carrying on for a whole week and um, to front Jones and to tell him afterwards that we'd had his bag accidentally. Um, he never let us have got that for a few years. He was pretty upset about it. Uh, that's Probably more upset that he couldn't claim all the stuff he, he supposedly was going to claim. <laughs> that's fantastic. And, and is it true that he gave himself the nickname The Legend? <laughs> I don't know the origins, but I wouldn't be surprised. No, no, Jody. He was fun and um, he had the ability to laugh at himself too. But uh, look, yeah, confidence, uh, he certainly wasn't shy or, uh, or, or, or reticent to back himself. He was... Um, so there's a possibility he may have nicknamed himself a let. Um, but it was, you know, it was pretty appropriate because he was an outstanding player um, and one of the best of certainly this era or my era. And post your playing days, did you guys keep in touch? Yeah, no, pretty regularly. And uh, up until you know a couple of months ago, we'd, we'd text each other and I'd he'd quite often ring up and uh, on his radio show and I'd, I'd do interviews for him. And he always, um, the thing I loved about Dean Jones, similar to Martin Crowe, was they always had... Um, Left field ideas about cricket and, and different ways of looking at things, and but a lot of time it made made a lot of sense. And he's a big believer in, in grade cricket and, and back to basics, and you know representing your club and then your state level and um, and doing doing things. I guess the, with the hard yards, and then the, the results will come later. So he was um, he was a bit old school in his ways, but that's you know that's exactly what a lot of cricketers needed. And um, he had huge respect, and he was um, you know, particularly under Victorian, so they all looked up to him. And then Australia was the same. And just finally, what kind of legacy will Dean Jones leave? Um, look, I think he was, um, well, I know he was a player that uh, Australian players absolutely loved. When we played the MCG, it was like we had an extra player. When, mm. you know, when Dean Jones walked out the bat, it was like the whole stadium came to life and it just gave us a massive edge playing one-day cricket. So 
I think in regards to Wonder Cricket, he'll be remembered as um, you know an innovator, very um, cavalier in his approach, and a bit of a maverick and um, and a forward thinker. And um, Test match cricket, he was he was part of that um, era where it really was the catalyst um, for Australian cricket to dominate. Um, the late '80s, we did a lot of um, there was a lot of soul searching and just like just stuck with quite a few players and Dean and myself were a couple of those guys that they showed a lot of faith in and we eventually came through and led Australia into that era of dominance. So, um, you know, for, for Jones, I think his legacy will be that um, the guy that loved playing for Australia, that gave it everything he had every time he walked out and was very proud to represent his country. He will certainly be missed. Steve Waugh, thanks for your time, mate. No problem. Thank you, mate. Some great stories there from Steve Waugh and I'm sure Dino will be honoured many times this summer. Right, okay, and on to you. Uh, how has quarantine been? And give us what a normal day looks like with you at the moment. It's been okay, quarantine. Um, it's, um, look, obviously, first of all, we're much more privileged than, you know, what average an average person is coming back from overseas or from Melbourne. We get, you know, we're in a nice brand new hotel. We get yard time, as we call it. We get to go out <laughs> and train or go to the gym or just walk laps to the Oval. And we're getting pretty good food. So, you know, straight off the bat, I'll address that. We're, we're pretty lucky. But um, it's, been a, it's been good otherwise. It's, it's weird being in Adelaide, um, like seeing it and not being able to go outside. It's kind of like Inception or something like that. It's like a fake universe out there. But um, it's gone pretty quick. So, yeah, I can't complain. It's been a, a good experience, but hopefully one that we don't have to do too much of. So when you get up to the morning to go to sleep at night, what are you doing? Well, how in-depth do we get here? Because well, be as granular as you like. The most routine things, are, you know, they get you through. Like first thing in the morning, we have to obviously check our temperature. That's the most important thing. Put that in our, our app um, to get the all clear from the dock to, to train that day. But um, we wait for our food drop. That's, that's the main one. Wait that's for food. One. You get the knock on the door. Um, it's pretty much a race from all the rooms. You can hear the boys running to the door. Um, Is it the same the time every day? Uh, so, yeah, every level's got ten, a 10-minute 10 allocation of time. So 9.30. Some days, 9.30, the floor below, which is level two, 9.40, level three, 9.50, level four, which is late as well. They're, they're the bad mornings because you're quite hungry waiting for that. Are you hanging out for it? Are you stinging for these meal drops? Yeah, especially <laughs> breakfast. Because, <laughs> you know, I, we, we filled out like a menu selection uh, like two weeks ago and everyone's forgotten what they picked on every day. So it's like the great it's a surprise. <laughs> yeah, every time it's a surprise. But on the first week, I think I, I picked porridge every morning. So by day two, I was kind of over that. Mm, porridge. And then what do you guys, do you get to train? Do you train every second day? And I think Mitch Stark told us last week that it's uh, the only time you guys get to mix together. Yeah, so this, I mean, the schedule's great. We got training every, like cricket training every second day. And then on the other days, we have strength or gym training. So every day we have at least two hours out of the room, which is, which is nice to get outside and exercise um, and just break the day up. And yeah, the, the only time we get to see, so we're in groups of four and on this level, there's seven. So it's two groups, an A and a B group. And the only time we get to see even the guys on our level in the B group is during cricket training. So, it's quite strict. The protocols are they're pretty intense in terms of getting from this side of the oval to Adelaide number two, but um, it's just what we've got to do to 
to get through. So, um, again, we're pretty privileged, so we'll just do it. And what's it like? As you said, you're a, yeah, an Adelaide resident. Has your has your wife been coming to the window? Have you been waving it at her from the second level? <laughs> she actually has a couple of times. I'll admit <laughs> it. Um, she was passing by. She didn't she didn't plan her day around coming past. But uh, from all reports, the the windows are quite dark during the day, so she couldn't really see me much. She brought the dogs. I was trying to get their attention, and <laughs> I was knocking on the window quite a bit, but um, they couldn't hear. Only the people in the hotel could hear. Uh, and then there was a football game on pretty early on. We were staying here, Portland playing. So a few of the boys in the Redback squad were at the game. Jake Lehman was one. And he gave me a ring when he was outside. So I turned the lights on. It was at night so he could see me. So that was nice. Um, a bit of outside contact. But otherwise, I'm just sitting here staring out the window and just people watching. So um, if you're walking past Adelaide Oval, be sure to, to wave and say hello. Yeah, uh, don't give away your room number. But uh, you've been through the ring all this stuff because you're the first one tested remember back in March that had a scratchy throat and you, you suffered the first initial quarantine yeah that was only for a day so I don't know what I was complaining about then but um yeah that was the beginning of it all so I, yeah I'm pretty I'm pretty well versed in in the COVID test as well we've had a few so it's just part and parcel of it all now uh you are there quarantining because you were part of the UK tour uh, and you played all three T20 internationals Australia lost that series 2-1 but probably could have won it 2-1 if you guys had have held your nerve in that first game. Uh, what was your takeaway from that tour? Um, it was an interesting experience. I think going into, I mean, I mentally prepared for the bubble as, as, as if we're going to India or a place like that where you're either in your hotel or you're training or playing. So from that aspect, it was fine. Um, I think the weirdest thing was just playing England in England without a crowd and, mm. um, I reckon that took that first game. It took uh, a while for the blokes to get their their heads around that. Um, but yeah, I mean, once we we're into it, it was kind of um, where we left off back in March. So yeah, it was just a, a strange experience playing against a really well, full strength, pretty much English, English team in front of like six people and a camera crew. So um, yeah, that that will take. It will still take a while to get used to. Um, but in terms of the cricket, it was it was just as good as. Um, you know, six. We hadn't played for six months, but everyone was was picking it up and and ready to go. And I thought we were, uh, we're we should have won that series two one if we're honest. So, um, yeah, it was a decent decent crack for a for a first game or a first series back in six months. And your own performance, how do you reckon you went? Um, yeah, I, th- I felt solid. I mean, it's hard to. I mean, I think the first two games I bowled three overs and two overs. So. That's quite nice as a as a bowler to not have to bowl your quota. But I mean, the second game was dictated by them chasing the runs a lot earlier. Yeah, I, I felt like I mean, T20 is that kind of game that you you prepare probably more for in terms of um, footage and plans than than actual work into your uh, training. So um, yeah, I felt like they came out alright. I'd, I'd actually built up quite a lot in Adelaide. We had quite a dry um, winter, so yeah, I was ready to go. But and we played about five practice games over there, so. There's a decent workload leading in. But yeah, I mean, it feels about three months ago, seeing as we've been sitting in this quarantine for a couple of weeks. It feels like ages ago, so I can't really remember. What was what was bubble life like though? You said you were preparing for, for India. How did you handle it? Yeah, I think I did all right. Um, I think the advantage I had both in both places we went to is that, uh, the rooms are on both sides of, of, of the 
well, the stadium part of the grounds. And I was yeah. lucky enough both times to be on the side that the grounds on side of balcony. So, um, yeah, every morning to it's kind of a routine to go outside and see the weather. And then your roommate, I was always next to Mitch at, at both Southampton and Manchester. So touch base with him, but yeah, it was fine. I mean, everyone had stuff to do. Um, we were training quite a lot, but yeah, everyone seemed to get through fine. And, and I think, yeah, just getting our heads around it pre-tournament helped that. Um, yeah, it's fine. How did you feel about your spot? Because on that tour in particular, there are a lot of fast bowlers <laughs> ready to step up uh, if something should happen. Uh, but you played all three games. That must give you confidence that you're in the best 11. Yeah, oh, I was unsure going in with six months off again. Um, you know, if, some, if anything's changed or um, whether those practice games at the start had a huge bearing on selection. But I think I always felt confident on the back of um, probably the last year we've had in T20 cricket it's kind of the best year we've probably had as a as a country in that format so um yeah I felt I felt confident but you never really know especially with I think it was nine bowling options on on mm. this tour especially fast bowling options and um you know Riley was bowling fast in those those practice games and um AJ's come back from a long injury layoff so yeah you never know where you're at but it was nice to to get the opportunity first up and and stay in for those three games so um yeah, who knows what will come, but um, yeah, feel, feel confident enough in that team. You're a man who loves a bit of facial hair, so you must have been very impressed by Riley's moustache, right? Yeah, I um, I on the pre-tour Zoom calls, um, we had like, he was the first one I noticed. I was like, who is that in the corner? And we had them curled up. So he's actually a, he's a great man. I I didn't know him at all um, playing against him obviously scared of him when um when I've, i haven't faced him a lot but he's 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 terrifying to face but he's a legend he's yeah great young kid he's only 23 or something so he's gonna have a really big future for australia and i was talking to Wadey the other day he was facing him in the nets here and he says he's the quickest going around and there's probably a bit of tasmanian mayonnaise on that but he's genuinely quick so to start in all those boys out there, Wadey thinks Riley's the fastest. I, I was going to say, did he say that in front of an earshot of Mitch Stark? Probably not. Uh, he kept that quiet, but I'll remind him tomorrow when we track. Good shout. Uh, you talked about being next to Mitch. Was that Mitch Marsh? Yes, Mitch Marsh. So was he one of the other the coffee barons? Because we spoke to Mitch Stark last week and we asked him. I asked him to grade the the coffee uh, makers, the, the cafes in the bubble over there. And he said he could only give me a fair rating of... Marnus Labashan and David Warner. He only went to to their pop up shops, which I think was pretty soft from Stark. And uh, I was and he, and he split them. He couldn't split them. He, he gave you the same score, which again, sitting on the fence, wasn't real impressed with that. Did you get around to taste a few more? Because you've been to the Love Cafe, you've been to Adam Zampa's Cafe. You would have had something from Mitch Marsh. Did you go check out the other guys? And can you give us a, a proper rating? Can you not sit on the fence and and actually? Tell us who was the best and who was not the best. Well, Mitch, um, I, I found out pretty early on he had a coffee machine because I could smell it literally through the through the walls. But he said he was like, Shh, "Keep it quiet. I don't want I don't want everyone knowing." <laughs> and he would invite like Stoin and maybe Ashagar and Wadey. They're like his little clique. So they were the only ones he knew because they were all, always in his room. But he's like, "Keep." keep it down, keep it down. And literally on the second, no, it was the last morning of the whole tour when we played the third one day. And Dave Warner sent out a message saying, you know, last morning of Bulls Cafe, these are the opening times, whatever. 
And Mitch Marsh sent a WhatsApp that morning saying, hey, boys, just to let you know, I've got some spare coffee and a coffee machine. So if anyone needs some, just yell out. <laughs> so he basically went the whole tour without telling anyone that he had coffee. So I didn't go into his room at all. Um, oh, you tasted the coffee. coffee. But you tasted the coffee. I didn't. Oh, I you didn't. did it? No. no your neighbours. Well, yeah, but I just, you know, he, uh, he, he scared me off with that. Like he didn't want people to know about it. So, and I've got quite, you know, I've got a, I've got loose lips, so I didn't want to let the secret out. So I thought I'll stay away and, and let his little click go at it. But I was mainly with Dave because, look, I, getting stuck in a room with Dave is not what you want. But he's incredibly generous and he'll he'll cater to all needs. He had oat milk, he had almonds, he had cow's milk, he had everything. But he'll no matter what time of the day, he'll make you a coffee. So I have to rate him number one purely for the fact that he was just always there. He was always open, always welcoming. You just hope when you went in, there was someone else in there. So you didn't get stuck one-on-one. And then I'll go Manus. Well, Manus too. I only had one from him, but it was a, a much more superior coffee. All right. So you, you're, you're trading off uh, opening times and convenience with taste. Well, I just think if you have, say you live near two cafes on your street, one's always open. Mm. And you can go get a coffee when you, whenever yeah. you want. The other one makes better coffee, but you just don't know when they'll be open. What yeah, are you okay. going to do? That's fair. Um, but smaller sample size as well with Manus. So that could have just been a one-off. Yeah. Um, and he also, I felt like he was hogging it a little bit. Apparently that's the team machine. Yes. And I felt like it was almost like trying to get blood out of a stone to try and get a coffee from him. So I, don't, I, I didn't rate that at all. You don't want blood in your coffee. And did you go to uh, Adam Zampa's cafe? Or was it just strictly for his super tight click? No, I stayed away from from Zampa's. And I'm going to be controversial here, but I don't actually like Zampa's coffee. Is he aware of this? Um, I don't know if he is. So that's probably going to test the friendship out. But it's um, he doesn't. He has it without milk. He makes it that's you know, right. in his little and. I'll be honest, it tastes like Makona or mm. is it is it Nescafe? What's the... Yeah, something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just Blend the, 42, uh, whatever it is. Whatever it is. It it's, it all tastes the same to me. So he's going to, he probably won't talk to me ever again after that, but that's me being incredibly honest to and this we, podcast. We appreciate your elite honesty, Kane. Thank you for that, mate. So that's, uh, you've given Dave Warner... The win there ahead of Marnus Abishana. Should have got one out of Mitch Marsh. Disappointing you didn't do that. But talking about the bubbles and coffee machine might be one of them. But what are your must-haves having experienced that one in the UK now? Uh, and there's, there's going to be a few of them around the country this summer, whether it be Test, BBL, International. What are the must-haves in a biosecurity bubble? Uh, well, yeah, if, if, if you're with a team and someone else has the coffee, so we won't we'll say that's that's the option. So we don't we, we don't need a coffee machine. Um, I think you still need a kettle and a good selection of tea because yep. you know, night you're unwinding. Um, you need you need something like that. You need a balcony. I think that was the you know, and I don't have one here but had it in England. I think that's um, something I'll recommend to whoever's organizing the the Australian hubs or the Australian bubbles that there's an opportunity to, you know, sit outside and get sun and fresh air. Yep. Um, that's probably the most important, the balcony. Um, you need some kind of gaming console, I feel. Sure. 
and 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 I I packed mine away about three years ago, um, my PlayStation. So I didn't bring it on this trip, but this last ten days has taught me that you're never too old to have a, a PlayStation or an Xbox. You you need one. A lot um, of the guys are carrying those suitcases, aren't they? They're all in one yeah, job: the screen Starkey, and the PlayStation. Yeah. Yeah, I think Starkey, um, Nathan Lyon, I think Hazelwood. I, I wouldn't go that far. I don't. I, w- I wouldn't invest that heavily in it. I just think something that you can hook up when you're in the room. That's the most important. Um, I actually brought my controller though. Okay. So it connects. So I've got this little NBA game on my iPad, and somehow the the controller connects to the iPad. So that's that's getting me through. That's bare minimum. Um, that's yeah, clubbies as we'd say. What about what about in the team room? What are some of the things that you got to have in the team room? Uh, well, we had basketball hoop, but it was a basketball hoop for about like a four-year-old. So Zamps was even Zamps was dunking on it. Okay. Um, but that was, I mean, it was nice, nice enough. Um, what uh, the one in Manchester had everything. It had like got like a golf simulator i didn't i don't like golf so i didn't go near that it had like um arcade games it had darts zams had darts in his room um are they must-haves though are they are they nice to haves yeah i think that's that's um yeah nice to have i don't think you need that i think um yeah that's just that's just cream on top um maybe a book maybe something to to escape well that's on you that's on you can't expect CA to provide a library for you guys. Oh, no, 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 no. Sorry, I went off, probably off topic there, but yeah, no, maybe they can. Why can't they? <laughs> Traveling history. library. Yeah, yeah, cricket history. The Wrong Line by Andrew Ramsey, great book. Okay, so we've got Balcony sounds like it's the number one. I mean, for me it is, and I know the guys who didn't have one, um, yeah, they were, they were desperate to have one. I think Steve Smith didn't have one in Southampton and Sean Abbott did. And then Steve Smith had one in Southampton and Sean Abbott didn't. So I think he pulled the card over him there. So it just shows how important they are. But obviously you're depending on the weather being nice as well. So I think if you're the number one batter in the world, you've got to kind of pull rank there, don't you? Well, the argument I had was that if you play golf and this is at Southampton, you had the course out the back. So that's your, that's your time to get outside. And, but if you don't play golf, balcony is essential. So yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, so you came home after the UK tour. A lot of your teammates went to the UAE for the IPL. Lots of lots of runs being scored over there. <laughs> this tournament, uh, are you 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 had to pull out because uh, the birth of your first child not far away. But having a look at some of those scores, can I? Are you glad that you're here and not there? <laughs> Good one to miss. <laughs> um, I thought going in that um, I've played a a half an IPL in the UAE before. And I remember that tournament being similar. Sharjah is always the high scoring one. But then last night, I think it was at um, Dubai, which is yeah. like quite a big ground and usually a slower wicket. And they, they made both teams made 200 there. And what did Mumbai chase off the last? 80 off the well, last was four like 80 odd. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's not ideal. That's never ideal <laughs> as a bowler. Um, but it's good to, um, it's good to be here and to be able to watch on uh on TV, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Some some big performances there. Steve Smith opened the batting. I wonder if he can somehow wriggle his way up there uh, in the Aussie T20 side, but it's tough to dislodge the, the opening partnership of Finch and Warner. Well, we've got – how many openers do we have? In- yeah, I know. We've got Stoinis as well, don't you? Stoinis, Wade. 
Glenn it seems got like it's um, opening batting. It seems like it's a good position to bat in T20. Throw your hand up. Chew some gum. It's um, chew some gum. Part time off spin usually bowls. I think that's my strength facing that. So maybe for the Renegades, we'll say. Yeah, I actually don't mind. Remember that 2018 tri series that you guys won? I think undefeated. Yeah. Uh, Finch was batting at five in that series. And he came in, I don't think he was dismissed. He came in and iced the game three times. Mm. Uh, I don't mind seeing him there because that uh, seems to be that that's the only part that's sort of left unchecked in that Aussie T20 side is that, that finisher. I know Mitch Marsh did a, a good job in that third game, but if they're looking, maybe they put Finch down the order. Controversial perhaps, but it's been done before. And again, done. small sample size, but seemed to work pretty well. I'll, I'll pass that on. Um... He probably listens but, to this, mate, so don't worry about it. Yeah, that's true. That's fine. But yeah, I think I think lengthening the order is the ideal situation. You want calm heads in the middle. And that's batting in the middle order in T20s is the hardest place to bat because you're always coming in under pressure or to ice the game or to, you know, everyone expects you to strike at 200. So you can't really win. But um, and I guess that's with Stoin opening in the big bash, smashing it, but then finding now that he's a middle order, he has to bat middle order for Australia. So maybe does that dictate where he bats in the big bash? I don't know. It's above our pay grade. Topic. Yeah. Okay. So IPL is happening. Don't forget, you can check that out on Fox Cricket or KO Sports and of course, daily highlights on cricket.com.au and the CA Live app. Shields Cricket's coming back. Kano, been announced the other day. Is it a bit more exciting now that you know when the game's going to be played and against who and where? Yeah, it's good to have the draw out. Um, I think it's been spoken about for quite a while oh, behind the scenes, maybe a month or so now. So it's it's not exactly news to us, but it's nice. Um, it's nice that it's in Adelaide as well. Um, obviously, selfishly, I, I can stay at home and um, yeah, I don't have to go in a bubble there. But uh, yeah, it sounds like it's gonna it's gonna be good to to get um, domestic cricket back back on track and the boys playing and. They've they've been doing preseason. I know South Australia. They've been doing preseason for what feels like ages now. So um, they'll be desperate to play some cricket, uh, as will all the other states. So um, you speak of high scoring. There's a game on Adelaide number two, I think, at some point. And mm. that, yeah, that that could be Junction Ovalesque in terms of first inning scores. That's not a big ground. So is that the only shoot game you played last year? Yeah, it was. Yeah, <laughs> and they, they got seven hundred or something, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then we replied with it's probably my favorite shield game ever because I actually had half the game off. Yeah, right. Because we we made we I think we made more. I can't remember. I've also blocked it out of my memory, but two colossal scores, yeah. It kicks off on the tenth of October, South Australia take on WA at Karen Rolton Oval, while Queensland take on Tasmania at Park twenty five. What do you think the pitch is going to be like at these, I guess they're called outgrounds, they're not Adelaide Oval. Um, what are you expecting? October start, uh, not uh, not necessarily main venues for Shield Cricket. Some of them have held them before, but what can you expect? I I don't know. Um, I know the Redbacks lads again have played some practice games at Karen Rolton and like two-day two day games and whoever batted second seemed to pile on the runs. So I think... Um, I think initially it'll be quite green, but they tend to flatten out pretty quickly. And the one thing we've found bowling in the nets um, in this past two weeks, with especially with the red kookaburra, is there's strict protocols around um, shining of the ball. So yeah. you, you can't use face sweat, you can't use arm sweat. Um, so 
what are you shine it with? So that's going to be the, I think that's going to be the biggest issue for, for teams is when it does flatten out, how can they um, maintain the ball to actually do something, whether they can get it reverse swinging. So it might be a bit of, you know, down the shorts action or I think you can use your back sweat. Yeah. So maybe the guys with, you know, hairy backs, maybe that's a selection call. You know, if you're a big sweater, you get picked. I don't know. But um, it's going to be interesting. I, I, we can't get it doing much in the nets here and, and we're trying. So, um, yeah, we'll see. What's the difference between forearm sweat and back sweat? Well, it's a good question. I don't want to ask it because people much smarter than me have come up with those rules. Um, I guess we've just got to be in support of, of what they say because, you know, we still are in the middle of this this pandemic. So I'm sure it's important, but it'd be nice to be able to um, shine the ball. I'm not, I'm not, you know, going against the health advice. Do you reckon you're going to get a few shield games? You're more of a, a white ball man, but uh, like I said, your last shield game, uh, you, got, <laughs> you got pogoed everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I got one for a hundred. So that was actually. Is that your first that shield century? <laughs> no, I've got a few. If you're <laughs> judging it by that. Um, that was actually a pretty good return for that game, but um, I'm I'm not sure initially. Um, I think it's going to depend on the next couple of weeks. Uh, who's fit? Firstly, uh, my workload wouldn't have been as high just through T20s, and then I didn't play any one days, so I haven't actually played cricket in a little bit now. So it's going to depend on the next, you know, once we get out of this quarantine, what that looks like. But yeah, I mean, I'll be in Adelaide and I'll be available, that's for sure. And you'll have a new coach, Jason Gillespie. Have you spoke much to the man that, known as Dizzy since he's come back? Uh, yeah, uh, well, when he got appointed, I sent him a text and um, tried to touch base when I was still over in England with him, but I didn't get a whole lot back. So I think he's still, I'll just say he's still in Sussex mode. He's trying to guide them to the, the title uh, in the T20. So yeah, um, I'll, 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 I'll wait till he gets back. I don't think he's back for... Um, for a little bit, uh, I think you'll miss the first couple of shield games. So maybe we'll uh, we'll touch base once he's out and uh, back roaming the streets of Adelaide, back where he belongs. My read on that is don't hold your breath about shield selection. If he's uh, <laughs> if he's not giving anything back, mate, that's probably a clear no passion. Yeah, that's fine. He'll be carrying the drinks. Okay, at the start of every shield summer, there's an important selection that goes down. Am I right? Kane, there's a bit of a draft or some sort of picking of squads and this is not so much about on the field. Well, I guess it is on the field, but this is not during game time because uh, you guys, how do you how do you traditionally warm up for a game? You guys play the, the soccer volleyball soccer hybrid volleyball. game? Yep. Yeah, we, we, we call it soluble, soluble. Okay, you guys play soluble. That's creative. Talk us through how those teams get picked each year, the process and basically how it has an impact on the team. Well, it's, it's only a new, um, we've, I think we adopted it. Daniel Worrell and Adam Zampa, Melbourne stars previously played it throughout big bash, came back one year and said, we're, we're playing it. This is non-negotiable. This is part of, um, this is part of our warm up every day. So no problem. And then initially it was just pick a side, whatever play. Um, and, and we started to get a little bit better. And then I think in pre-season, maybe, no, I went to the Renegades. Yeah. Same system. Cameron White was the um, the CEO of it all. He organised a draft um, one afternoon and I was a captain of one team and I can't remember who was on the other side. So I got a first-hand experience of how the draft process works, how they, how they go about it, salary cap, all that kind of thing. So then after that, I took that back to South Australia and we did the same thing. So. Um, 
it's it's upcoming. I totally forgot. I totally forgot about it. Um, maybe the boys have done it without me. I haven't been picked. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, but it is a it's a big time of the year, especially for the new kids in the squad. It's kind of their induction. Mm. It's kind of you know your your first real experience of 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 being wanted or or, or not. So it's um yeah it's a, it's a big time. Some harsh life lessons will be taught on that day. Uh, who's who normally goes to the top of the draft to sort of the the premier picks? Well, it depends who who captains who who's captain. And usually you try and you know if I'm doing the draft, which I should be again, um, you try and pick all format players who are going to be playing every game. So are they going to play for Australia? Like say Travis Head, poor choice of captain because he's probably going to miss. Yeah. Especially this year, he's probably going to be in a, a bubble, so he's probably not going to be there. So then, are they going to be available for every game? Shield and one days. That's the most important thing we're picking, Captain. So off the top of my head, Jake Weatherald and and I'm not preempting Australian selection. He could definitely play for Australia. Sure. So Jake Weatherald and let's say Tom Cooper. Yeah. There's your captain. So then, uh, who's the hottest hottest pick? Probably Daniel Worrell. Daniel Worrell, Jake Lehman, Travis Head. Um, are the three that actually have soccer ability, which is a really big part of the game. Head. Yeah, he's actually surprisingly good. Okay. He tries to he tries to do a lot himself, which which um, yeah it alienates his teammates. So he's not he's not a great person to play with. Yeah. And is this is there a tally caps over the year? And at the end of the year, does one team win some kind of prize, a trophy? Does the other team have to do something? The, for the winning team, um, I actually keep it. I've got my notebook in my bag here, and it goes back a couple of years. So we keep a tally. Um, initially, as well, we had like a retro soccer uniform, like an old one day shirt from like the nineteen seventies, and that was given out after every game as like the best on ground, um, which I, I won uh, a couple of times. But uh, I don't know what happened. I think Stephen Schwedder SNC lost that shirt, so. That was the end of that. But yeah, I keep a tally in the book. There's no real there's no real prize apart from bragging rights, okay. which is everything. That's the most important thing. Absolutely. Uh, all right, Kane. Well, do you know when this draft's coming? No, as I said, I totally forgot about it. And when you're away with Australia, you tend not to talk to your state teammates. Like yeah, understandable. You don't want to talk you don't want to you don't want to talk to them. So they may have done it without me and they may just be withholding information until I'm back with them, but we'll see. Possibly yeah. in the next week because you know the shield season's coming quite quickly. Yeah, it's uh, kind of a backhanded compliment to be captain, isn't it? And goes, congratulations, you're leader of this team. Also, we don't think you're good enough for the national team. So, well, it's you're good enough to play every game of both formats, but yeah, we don't. I don't know. Are you going to play for Australia? Are you going to be here all the time? Are you a bowler who's going to get injured? Yes. Well, yeah, Lots it's to a consider. tough one. Usually, batsman. Yeah, it's a t- it's a big job, but you know, it's not one. It's not one I take lightly. That's for sure. No, and I couldn't think of a, a better person to be in charge of such a difficult task. Cain, uh, thank you so much for your time, mate. Really appreciate it. Are we done already? That's it. We're done, yeah. Okay. It's, I've, it's got about, I've got about eight hours spare, so we can string it out. It's almost time for the food drop. Yeah, that's true. We've got five minutes, so I'm waiting for that knock. I'll get in my sprinting position ready to collect. Yeah, I don't know if I can stretch this out any longer, but uh, appreciate it, mate, and all the best for the upcoming season. Thanks, Sammy. That's it for the Unplayable Podcast this week. Don't forget to subscribe to this show and The Scoop, which covers all things women's cricket. We will be back next week, but until then, for your cricket news, live scores, and video highlights, head to cricket.com.au and the CA Live app.